Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Hi there, this is Professor Michael Chapman. I'm a fertility specialist of some 35 years. I've been working in the area, watching and helping IVF grow through that 35 years from being something that was a really an experiment when, I, when we first started to now being a, a day-to-day thing. In the original rationale for IVF was for women who's had tubal blockage. So when a patient has any disease that uh, causes adhesions and scarring of the fallopian tubes, potentially blocking them altogether, and then IVF was designed to get around that problem. That was the original reason for doing IVF. So that you could harvest the eggs, take them to the laboratory, produce a sperm sample, put the sperm and the egg together, and then put the embryo back inside the uterus. But that was the indication. What is it that might lead to that? As I said before, anything that causes scarring to the fallopian tubes. When I first started, probably the commonest reason for blocked tubes was pelvic inflammatory disease. Women who've had chlamydia infections or gonococcal infections from sexually transmitted diseases, having the tubes become inflamed, infected, and then causing scarring and blockage. More recently, we've become much more conscious of of another issue, and that is endometriosis. So if you have endometriosis in the pelvis outside of the ovaries, which is the commonest place for it to be within the ovaries, if you had endometriosis outside the uterus, the inflammation that occurs each month where those cells basically bleed and lead to scarring, and that scarring can lead to the adhesions and the blockage of the fallopian tubes. So we're seeing more of that these days. Before IVF, the only way around to attempt to get around blocked fallopian tubes was to do open surgery. Women would be in hospital five or seven days after having an incision in their tummy because laparoscopy wasn't really up to dealing with the fine detail that was required for the microsurgery on the tubes. In the 70s, microscopy, microsurgery developed and with some success. I have to say that the success rates for improving tubes after pelvic infection or endometriosis, the success rates were less than 10%, but it was 10% that were never going to get pregnant anyway. 
Then, obviously, stepped on Edwards and their work and also the work in Melbourne from Carl Wood and Ian Johnson, their ability to culture embryos in vitro changed the world for the tubal disease patients. Interestingly, proponents, people who become very skilled at tubal microsurgery, perhaps not surprisingly, were very sceptical that IVF was real. The principal surgeon in London while I was there, Lord Winston, he is now, stood up at a, a meeting, a scientific meeting, where Steptoe and Edges presented the first case and he called them a fraud because obviously it was going to eat into his area of expertise if we no longer needed tubal surgery. In uh, <laughs> Following on from that, um, I have to say that Robert Winston, by a decade later, was running the biggest IVF program in London. So he got converted and he realised that, that IVF was the way forward, not putting women through major uh, operations to try and correct tubes with very low success rates. It doesn't mean that in some situations, uh, laparoscopic approaches to the to block tubes is doesn't work. And, and with, micro, with laparoscopic surgery, it's much less invasive than an open surgery. And if the damage is just at the end of the tubes, at the what we call the fimbria, the fingers on the end of the tube, if they're just glued down by a bit of scar tissue using laparoscopy, uh, we can break down those adhesions and open up the fallopian tube. It does occasionally work. But anything more severe than those distal adhesions, really, it's a waste of time trying to do surgery. So tubal surgery, now almost never done. One exception I would say to that in the 21st century is women who've had sterilization as we've advanced over the years sterilization has ended up with now a clip being put across the fallopian tube only about three or four millimeters wide and so only a small amount of the tube is damaged and if a woman having had her children then finds a new partner they want to have babies and they want to have more than one baby maybe it's a good idea to try tubal reanastomosis it's called so again laparoscopically we look inside we cut out a little clip and then we sew both edges of the tube together and with experienced workers that probably produces about a 50 to 60 percent chance of a pregnancy if the woman is of a younger age over the next two or three years it won't instantly cure the problem it does, however, have some downsides. Obviously, it may not work. Secondly, the risk of an ectopic pregnancy goes from about 1 in 100 to 10 in 100 because where that damaged tube is where an egg and a sperm usually meet, and it may stay there to reduce an ectopic pregnancy. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.